right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. Uh, a very different episode today as we chatted with Tom Whitney of uh, Corn Ferry Tour fame. Uh, he's got a very interesting background coming from the Air Force Academy. Spent four years in the military before uh, committing full-time to professional golf. We talk all about his story. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. All about his jaunts through uh, Latin America Toro, how hard he's worked just to get Corn Ferry Tour status, and uh, how how much it means to him and his family. As we uh, approach here, the final week of the Corn Ferry regular season, thought that would be a very topical conversation, and uh, uh, some some lessons to be learned from Tom on the back end as well about a personal tragedy uh, that he and his family have gone through, and uh, what, what what he's doing to help people in similar situations. Uh, I promise, please stick around for that. It's it's a pretty important message, I'd say. No Laying Up is brought to you, of course, by Precision Pro Golf. We are ecstatic about the NX9 Slope Rangefinder. If you haven't been able to tell, you'll see us using it in all of our videos. We get so many questions about it. You can use coupon code NOLANGUP at checkout to receive $25 off the NX9 Slope. It's got everything you're looking for in a rangefinder. Slope-adjusted distances, a built-in magnetic cart mount, six times magnification, crystal clear, display straight through that magnification and offers hands down the best customer service and care of any rangefinder in the industry. We've got a lot of feedback from people actually that have written and say, Hey, you guys have been advertising about how these guys have great customer service. Just wanted to share. I had great personal, a great personal experience with them as well. So thank you for everyone, uh, for, for, supporting our sponsors and for giving us that feedback uh, as well. So again, we are all using the NX9 Slope Rangefinder. It is the only rangefinder that comes with lifetime battery replacements. It'll save you a ton of money over the course of many years, uh, replacing these very expensive batteries that go into uh, into rangefinders. So again, add the NX9 Slope to your golf bag. Go to precisionprogolf.com. Use coupon code NOLANGUP at checkout for $25 off our favorite rangefinder. That's the NX9 Slope. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Here's Tom Whitney. All right. To start things off, what kind of a what kind of weight is off your shoulders to be secured in the top seventy five heading into the uh, final week of the regular season here on the Corn Ferry Tour? Oh man, yeah you you have no idea. You know this. I'm at the most advanced place I have been in my career um, as far as status goes. You know, there's different echelons of playing on mini tours and having status on. Uh, developmental tour, you know, Latin form, and then there's conditional corn fairy status. There's full status, but eligible for reshuffle, which is what I was or what I am currently. And, you know, now I am full status exempt from reshuffle. Um, so just a little higher tier. You know, it's been a long time coming. My, <laughs> I was sitting with my wife last night. Um, we were watching the Americans on Amazon Prime and um, just kind of, again, relishing in the fact that hey i have a job next year i'm i've secured it and she made the comment that it took you know seven years and i'm like man when you say it that way it sounds kind of bad but um you know it's been it's been a lot of fun two years on latin a few years on mini tours a few years on web and corn ferry and and each year i'm learning more and getting better and you know getting closer to uh, that pga tour carrot and i mean you know, we could be talking in another four weeks and I have that PJ Tour status. That's interesting because before I got into golf, I thought 
I cannot stress enough how little I thought about the importance and the value of Corn Ferry tour status. Uh, and, you know, getting to know a few Corn Ferry guys around Jacksonville has helped that a lot. And like just tracking a few of them, the the stress that comes in trying to get top 75 on Corn Ferry tour. Again, only the diehards golf fans care enough about that. But uh, just I was planning to ask you like what that means to get in that top 75. And I think you just answered it with that with the very first answer there. Yeah, it's it, it is a complete load off. And um, it's crazy how much it changes the mindset just going into tournaments and and preparing throughout the week. You know, I so so I actually just flew home from Salt Lake City. I flew to Dallas and route to Omaha. I'm on the last flight of the night there today, and then I'm gonna, I'm going to do a nine hole pro am and and just do a little preparation. But my swing's feeling really good going into the regular season championship. Had I not secured status, I just I wouldn't have this freedom. You know, I'd be thinking I need to be out there chipping and putting and and making sure everything's tuned and. You know, when I even even out there, I got to be logging eight hours a day and make sure that I'm fully prepared. And and sometimes you can overexhaust yourself doing that. Um, when in reality, you should just be trusting what you've got. Yeah, fortunately, I'm on the right side of things right now, where I can I can just be confident in my current swing and and do the prep that I'm comfortable doing and and look forward to teeing it up on Thursday. How do you possibly even schedule out a corn ferry schedule? And, and I don't know if that's a separate question for this mega season, which we can talk some about here. But it once it hits, like it does not take breaks. <laughs> you know, maybe there's one break at in. Yeah, at the same time, you're trying to balance playing your best possible golf. And how, how do you go about balancing? Do you have a maximum amount of weeks that you will play in a row? And and that's a very different question to ask somebody on the corn ferry tour than it is a PGA tour, I think. Yeah, and. I have an answer, but I haven't held to it this year. And, and I think you can just blame COVID and the, the two-year schedule and just how crazy all this has been. But uh, normally, I prefer to be out there no, no longer than four weeks at a time, mainly because I have four kids at home and, and my awesome wife runs things while I'm gone. And, and I'm home for two days and it is exhausting chasing these kids around <laughs> and, and, and keeping them alive and feeding them and following them to practices and extracurriculars and laundry and dishes. And, oh man, I mean, hands down, my wife has the more difficult job. It's grueling now. It's, it's awesome. And I love it, but yeah, out of respect for her and me loving being with my kids and, and, seeing them grow and in advance and learn, you know, I, I want to be home as much as I can. And corn fairy is very difficult to make that happen. Like you said, you know, come March, they usually go anywhere from 14 to 17 weeks in a row without stopping. And that's where the battle begins of picking and choosing which events you're going to skip. You know, you're going to, you're going to fall on the points list when you do that. But again, on the other side of things, that's no different than over exhausting yourself and missing a cut it's kind of the same result. So, you know, I'm, I'm 32. I'm a decade removed from being out of college. I'm no longer a young, eager college graduate. And, you know, my, <laughs> my body's getting older. I can, I can feel it. And um, those decisions are also realizing my peak performances. And, and you know, I, I can't grind for six, seven weeks in a row like some of these young guys can. Well, what is what has this season been like? I, admittedly, I, I've struggled to kind of keep up with it, just with 
you know, it, it, it being as long as it has been and just seeing, you know, some of the guys we were rooting for, you know, seeing them have a top finish and barely move up the standings just because there's so many points available. And it just seems like one of the, the, the grindiest of the grind. And you've seen a lot of grind in your career. Talk to me about what this mega season uh, really has been like from a competitive standpoint. Man, Sully, I've struggled to keep up with it, just like you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been crazy. I mean, we we had a few tournaments last year. What is that? Start of twenty twenty. Yeah, we we had a couple international events, and then and then everything halted for a few months. And I mean, that was just completely insane for me to be home March, April, May, little bit of June with no travel. You know, so we had this mid-season, off-season, and then once we picked up again, there were very few breaks through the end of 2020, and that was kind of one of the difficult scheduling conversations I had to have with my wife, Jess, is, look, like, I kind of just had an off-season, and I'm going to have to break kind of my four-week maxes because sometimes we would go five weeks and then a week off and it just it wouldn't make sense for me to skip one of those when i'm going to have a week off you know in in one or two more weeks that's built into the schedule i'm very fortunate that my wife was supportive and and really let me let me build my own schedule the way that i needed to and was comfortable with and uh, she just kind of trusted me in that and and we made it work over these long two years this was my first off season that I've honestly had in, in my seven-year full-time career as a golfer, you know, because they did this two-year mega season. So once we finished in mid-October, we didn't start again until February, I think it was. And, you know, there really wasn't much else to play in. I didn't go seeking out tournaments across the nation over in Florida or, or California or anything. I just kind of really enjoyed the time with the family and worked on my, my swing and my fitness and... Uh, yeah, this, this two years has been a blur, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remind myself where I was and what month and what year it was. And it's all the same season. And yeah, I mean, home, home stretch for <laughs> the home stretch. Yeah. Are you are, doing the math here? You're 61st. Currently you are locked into the top 75. You have secured corn Ferry status for next year. Yet, if I'm doing the math right, you can win this coming week and not get in the top 25 for the PGA Tour. Am I doing that right? That's how many points have been given out so far this year? Oh, yeah, you're, you're totally correct. You know, this is kind of, I think one of my buddies told me I'm playing with house money on this one because I can't lose my status, nor can I improve it. So, um, honestly, this is just going to be a really fun week in Omaha. Who knows, maybe I'll go at every flag and 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 get creative on some shots. Maybe I'll try to input more fades than I normally do. Um, just kind of preparing for the three finals events. That's to be determined, but you know, it's, there's, there's no pressure on it. I'm, I am now, I'm no longer on that bubble. You've said like five things that make it, make it very clear that you're probably going to go out and play the best week of your, of your season. Right? <laughs> you're, you're taking your preparation yeah, it, a little lighter. Yeah. It, it's so true, man. When you enter tournaments with no expectations, um, it, it's crazy how, how focused and unbothered you can be on the golf course. Um, my, my first Monday qualifier I ever got through, um, I had just won the Waterloo Open a couple weeks prior. I had just completed the Colorado State Open. And then that Sunday evening, I drove from Denver to Salt Lake City. 
and um, I had been on the road for, I think, five weeks at that time. Um, obviously, Waterloo was a big check. I didn't really want to be out there on in, in Utah for the web event, but I was signed up. I was playing good golf, and my two options were I... I don't get through the qualifier and I get to go home and spend the week with my family or I do get through the qualifier and I get to play my first web.com event and um, played the course blind, had a college kid from the area um, that that had played the course a decent number of times and, and he coached me through, I think it was a five or six under round to get through the, uh, to get into the playoff and then we got through that and lo and behold, with no expectations, I'm in my first web event, you know, three, four years ago. Hmm. Talk to me about the grind of Monday qualifiers. It's uh, it, you know, it's something that I think has you know come more to light in recent years, and the appreciation for for that grind. I I, I still just I struggle a ton with the finances of it, of like the the probability of getting through, the cost of it, the flight. Do you get a practice round? How do you you know how how have you handled that in your career? I guess you know you guys fight so 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 hard just for any entrance to any professional tournaments and uh, just take me to the, take me to the Monday qualifier mindset and, and how you weighed which ones you would try for and which ones you wouldn't. Yeah. Let's see. I've, I've probably spent three, maybe four years kind of chasing Mondays. So when I left the air force in, in May of 2014, that's kind of when I started playing full time, anything I could get in. Um, so I, I, I'm sure I did a number of Mondays that year and then did them all, in 15 and then uh, 16 I had Latin so I didn't really do many but then 17 and 18 I had the coveted conditional status on web.com which meant I was going to every single Monday qualifier trying to get in because if I had a good week I could reshuffle and I will tell you that that position is purgatory Uh, it's it's not a fun place to be it's a different location in the tournament course. So each tournament usually has two courses. Uh, in the in the peak of the Monday qualifying season, you're looking at 150 guys on each course. Ever since this season, they've dropped the qualifying spots to four per golf course. Uh, so, you know, when you look at U.S. Open locals, you're talking five spots for, um, out of 90 players. And these Corn Ferry Mondays, you're now talking four spots out of 150 players. So you're going to these courses that are sometimes a couple hours away. Yeah, you mentioned practice rounds. They're not always guaranteed. A number of times I've showed up and they have a member event going on in the morning or some sort of shotgun. And um, there really isn't much regard for the pros that are all teeing it up on Monday. A lot of times I've, I've played with amateurs for my, my practice rounds. Uh, you're very lucky if you get uh, an entire group of professionals that are all kind of charting the course in the same way but yeah it's a grind you're you're paying for your flights you're paying for your entry fee you're paying for your practice round you're probably buying a couple buckets of balls all in the hopes that you can tee it up and then spend more money by staying in a hotel even longer and purchasing a caddy for the week and really hoping you make the cut just so you can even scratch to breaking even for the week and uh, yeah, it's just tiring. When I was, when I had my conditional status in uh, my first year, 
uh, when it was web.com in 2017, I was right on the bubble for, I would say, a majority of the season. So I would have to sign up for these Mondays. I would um, have to commit energy and time on the Monday qualifier course, doing practice round on Sunday, playing the qualifier on Monday. And I mean, by the odds, you don't get through a lot of them. So most of the time I was not qualifying. And then I was showing up to the tournament course because I'm two, three, four out and then just waiting until Thursday to see if I get in. So, you know, you're wasting all this time, energy and resources on a course that doesn't even relate to the to the actual golf tournament. And if you do get in the event by Thursday, I mean, I just remember being dead tired and exhausted before the tournament's even started. And then you're not teed up even close to play your best golf because you have no fallback, right? You're going to be, you know, make the cut. And if you don't, you know, you're kind of, you're back in the same boat for the next week. And it, it just goes to, you know, tying everything together. We've talked about to this point, like how important that status is, is really, really tough to measure because there, you know, there's, there are definitely things that separate out a lot of players around your level. But the margins are so crazy thin that I'm sure there's tons of capable people, players out there that don't have any corn fairy status that are capable of even playing on the PGA Tour if the bounces go their way and if they, you know, get the right, you know, the right uh, support under them to play in that. And it's just something that's kind of super immeasurable just to be bouncing around with so much uncertainty. And I, I, I say that just from a fan's perspective. You've lived it. I can't even imagine how difficult shuffling all that is. Yeah, and so I've I've also played two separate seasons down on Latin America in 16 and 19. And um, honestly, there were multiple times where not only me, but a lot of the other players would agree that full status on one of those tours is almost better than conditional status on Corn Ferry, just because you have a place to play. You know you're getting to tee up for a purse every single week albeit a lot less on the developmental tours, but you also have the ability to build out a schedule too and plan your year. And, um, you know, corn fairy conditional is, yeah, it's, it's very daunting. It, it takes a lot of time, money, energy, willpower, <laughs> support, uh, you name it. And, and you need it to, to get through just having conditional status. I mean, yeah, but getting through on Latin too is, I mean, it's almost like Monday qualifier odds, right? Is it 10 guys graduate from Latin Tour to the Corn Ferry Tour every year? Yep. So so 10, 10 guys graduate, uh, m- meaning they they advance to final stage. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so they have Los Cinco on, on Latin, the five. And those so, – so top 10 go to final stage with a chance to earn full status – the top five have, or they did have, a select number of starts in the Latin America events. So when I finished second on the tour in 2019, I was guaranteed Panama, Colombia, um, Mexico, and maybe one additional tournament. But that was it. So if you if you miss the cuts in those, you're no better off than... Um, the other conditional guys and, and that's something you worked a year for <laughs> just for those starts, you know? Yes. Yeah. You, you finished top five. I still had to go to Q school finals to try to improve upon that. And then fortunately that was when I finished third place and locked up, um, the first 12 starts 
on this two year season. And then uh, that's what enabled me to do what I did over the last two years and, and earn exempt from from reshuffle status a quick break to check in with our friends at original penguin you can go to originalpenguin.com, use promo code nlu20 and get 20 percent off all purchases on their website i want to emphasize they make great golf clothes but their clothes also fit great uh, for wearing off the course as well i'd say about 80 percent of the time if you see me in shorts in any of our videos i am wearing original penguin shorts their golf shorts are my favorite i've even gotten a little bit you know, I get a little teased a little bit about the inseam on some of the shorts I'm wearing, some of their off-course uh, shorts that may, may be a little shorter than the golf shorts, and maybe I I can't quite pull it off yet, but I'm working on, I'm working on the quads. I promise we're spending some time in the gym. Original Penguin has also been working to be more green and offering more sustainable products, not only in everyday wear, but for golf. You can find styles that are around 20 to 30% recycled poly. Uh, again, I wear their stuff quite literally every single day. I love their hoodies, the lightweight hoodies. I wear the jeans. I wear the shorts, plenty of their t-shirts. Uh, you'll see a lot of us uh, rocking Original Penguin stuff on and off the golf course uh, during Season 7 of Taurus Sauce, which will come out uh, sometime in October as well. So again, go to OriginalPenguin.com, promo code NOU20 for 20% off your purchase there. Let's get back to Tom Whitney. Well, usually I, I like to start with background, but uh, you know, I wanted to make sure we, we chatted at least a little bit of golf before we got into what makes your story unique. And I think we'll kind of circle back around on some more uh, technical golf stuff as well. But in your mind, where does, where does your background story start? Uh, you don't see a lot of people go from the Air Force Academy to professional golf, but uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit of that story. Yeah, so I'll try to go just quickly leading up to the academy. Um, I, I grew up in Northern California in Lake Tahoe area. Uh, the PJ Tour guys were just in, in Reno, Tahoe area. And somehow picked up the game of golf at age seven where it, in Tahoe where it snows nine months out of the year. So uh, I didn't grow up skiing or snowboarding. I grew up playing golf. And once my brother and I kind of really developed some solid golfing talent, my parents made a genius decision to move all of us down to Southern California in, in La Quinta, Palm Desert area. And I mean, that place, you have 150 golf courses within 30 minutes of driving. Everywhere you look, every corner, uh, just like Starbucks, there's a golf course down there. And um, so that's that's what I did as a, as a kid. I'd, I'd go to school and then I'd, I'd play golf. And I mean, that was my babysitter. That was my role model that was my mentor it was it was just being immersed in golf and learning um learning how to get better and and learning life's lessons through the game and um and then my brother uh, who's <clears throat> two years older than me in school uh, he got recruited to play at the air force academy and um and then through him being there i got to visit campus i met the coach saw the team um, saw the facilities and really just thought it was a, a neat place. Um, I, I, I won't say that I grew up with a ambition to serve my country from a young age. I don't have a long, um, you know, history of dad, grandfather, great grandfather, all, all serving in the military. Um, my grandpa was a World War II pilot, um, but uh, that was the extent other than my brother. But I, I thought it would be really fun to follow my brother's footsteps and, and check it out. And uh, the fact that he was already there, I, I, like I mentioned, I met the coach and also got recruited to play there and um, just, just kind of ended up there. And, and freshman year is absolutely terrible. I wanted to leave <laughs> every single day, um, Christmas break. What's terrible about it? So, you know, you start off with a six-week 
boot camp. And that's in June, July, and August. But it's six weeks of basically working out every day, doing exercises you don't want to do. Uh, you're getting yelled at, whistles. They don't really use logic. You know, it's if, if you're the first guy out there in line, well, then you're just going to be the guy that's in the front leaning rest, the push-up position, the longest amount of time. For six weeks, you can't really do anything right. But on the on the other side of things, the cadre side, they're they're breaking these basic cadets down to where they have they have no other option but to rely on one another to get through this. Um, you cannot get through basic training on your own. If if you don't make friends and ask for help, you have no chance of getting through. You know, some of my closest relationships are from people in my in my freshman squad, people I went through basic training with, people I graduated with from the academy. Um, just because it, it's hard and you're going through it together. You're, you're taught to rely on others just to survive. And so out of basic freshman year, freshman year, I remember sleeping in a lot of classes. Um, even if you have an off period, I remember falling asleep in, in bathroom stalls or, or, or empty classrooms because oftentimes you don't, you don't even want to go back to your, your room if you have an off period because you got to traverse across campus which means you're running on these perimeter marble strips on the square in between all the buildings. If someone's curious, just Google Terrazzo at the Air Force Academy. And uh, the outer marble strips is what freshmen have to run on. They can't cut corners. They can't go in straight lines. They got to run this perimeter. Once you get in the hallways, you have to address every single upperclassman by their name, rank, you have to memorize information about them. If they have a, if they're seniors or juniors, you got to know what car they are or what car they drive, what major they're studying, uh, hometowns. Um, you know, so all is just excess pressure required to memorize. And, and, and again, you can't do it on your own. You got to lean on your classmates, make flashcards to learn all this stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, you just, you kind of learn how to hide out. Like that's, that's why I said, instead of going back to your, your classroom um, on and off period, you just kind of find some place to hide out, take a little nap, do whatever you got to do. And then, uh, you know, the highlight of the day is, is lunch because you get to eat with your teammates and then go down to practice. And uh, so, yeah, those first five hours of the day are, are pretty, pretty grueling. And then you get to escape down to the golf course and man, the golf course facility at the Air Force Academy is just absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's backdropped on uh, right up against the mountains in Colorado Springs. They have 36 holes there. Um, now the golf team has their own locker room, short game area, driving range, uh, indoor hitting facility. Um, so really it's, it's started to become a, a five-star facility. And but it was pretty cool to be able to call that place home for four years. So yeah, just, just to circle back, you know, that, that's freshman year is, is you have all these kind of silly rules that you have to uphold there to kind of break you down to teach you to well they're supposed to teach you how to manage time and <laughs> and not procrastinate and somehow I slipped through but uh, once you once you earn all of your rights back as an upperclassman um, starting that sophomore year a lot of that extra stuff kind of goes away and then it's just it's just more uh, classes and and, and golf um, so life kind of got a lot more normal um, starting sophomore year you know other than you know, I, I studied social sciences. That was my major. But I think 
And one of the reasons I chose that was it was the least number of credits um, to graduate. But I still think that number was like 146 or 148 credits because the gen ed at the academy is just so stout. It, it was tough, but, you know, you, you graduate and you get that diploma from the Air Force Academy. And I mean, it, it opens a lot of doors. Uh, let me tell you, um, the I, I've been able to lean on the just the brotherhood and fraternity of not only the alumni group at the academy, but, um, you know, I, I've, I've had support from every single service, whether it be Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, just uh, it's pretty cool because me being one of the one of the few veterans out there that are playing professional golf, anyone that's tied to the military uh, is is eager to kind of be part of my support and, and be willing to lend a helping hand if, if I need it, whether it's host housing or support otherwise. I mean, I, I've got a lot of people rooting for me in my corner um, just from the military alone. Yeah, gosh, I believe that. Um I was gonna say, on top of all that, now go out and play good golf too is a uh, is a challenge that you're trying to deal with. But talk, tell me about your your career post academy, your career in the Air Force, and uh, some of the interesting things you got to uh, got to do with the Air Force. Yeah, so in 2010 is when I graduated. Um, that season, I'd, I'd actually cracked the top 25 in the individual rankings on Golf Week or Golf Stat or whatever that is. So that was when I kind of realized that, okay, I'm going to eventually try full-time golf as a, as a career path. Now, when you graduate from the academy, you also owe a number of years uh, service back. That's not a bad thing. I mean, you, you graduate debt-free from the academy and then you have a guaranteed job for five years. To me, that's pretty darn cool. I graduated in May of 2010, as, uh, and, and my specialty was a nuclear missile operator. So I headed out to training in Santa Barbara, California, and learned everything about the uh, Minuteman III weapon system, and what we're in charge of is um, sending the launch command if the president gives us the order. And obviously, to this date, we've never had to do that from one of our one of our silos. But then the other day to day stuff is routine tests, exercises, routine maintenance. We have unexpected maintenance. We have security uh, security alarms that go off, whether it's from whether it's from earthquakes across the world. I, I mean, I, I kid you not when when they have those seven point earthquakes uh, over out in in Japan and Indonesia and all that, like our vibration sensors on our missiles go off because of the vibrations. Really? So, yeah. So we can get an alarm and, and we'll see it on all, we'll see the reading on all of our missiles. You can turn on the news and then you'll see, oh, yep, there is a seven point earthquake halfway around the world. Is that a big sigh of relief when you see the earthquake then? Is that, or, you know, does it ever feel routine at that point? Or does everyone feel like, okay, this is it, this is it? No, it's pretty routine yeah. because, yeah. I mean, thank God that, you know, we've, we haven't had to offensively use these missiles ever. Our, our silos have never been attacked. You know, as much responsibility as there is in this job, um, it is pretty routine. Because if things were to escalate, there, there are a lot of um, levels you have to go through to do so. So it's not like in a second that you're going to be launching a missile. 
and and you didn't know about it. So, but this stuff that this weapon system is is old. It was built back during the you know the Cold War, and we're using three and a half inch and eight inch floppy disks to load data. We have five different communication systems that are um, some are hardwired, some are. Um, via satellite, the missile complex itself. So I'm just speaking at the base I was at in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The missile complex, which is kind of the footprint of all of the missiles and all of the personnel silos, is the size of Rhode Island. And there are 150 missiles and 15 personnel sites that are all hardwired of these cables buried underground. These cables are um, pressure protected obviously you know water terrain environmental um, proofed and everything is hardwired connected to each other uh, I, I mean to this day I'm still in awe of the technology or the level of technology and and just genius that existed years ago to put the system in place and we still use it today and it is still very 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 reliable gosh a lot of questions I, I could ask about that but I come coming back to golf like what is your what, what is your golf? This doesn't sound very well set up to you know, be uh be playing your best golf. When does golf re-enter the picture, or how are you balancing that during you know your 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 job? How does that work? Yeah, so um, yeah, I guess circling back to you know, I graduated in 2010, and and I I declared myself as a professional for the 2010 Colorado Open. So I you know I turned pro in 2010 even though I was a second lieutenant and serving full-time active duty in the Air Force. And uh, I got to play in two, maybe three professional tournaments each year. So I'd play in the Colorado Open. I would maybe go play in a Dakota's Tour event. And then uh, I remember, I think every year I drove out to Wichita to try in the Monday there, and then um, sometimes Salt Lake City, uh, just because those are the ones that are less than nine hours away and I can drive and you know, I'm not going to fly and book a rental car and a hotel and all this stuff for a Monday qualifier, kind of like we talked about at the beginning of this pod. So yeah, I just played in a couple events each year. And then other than that, I would practice in my time off. Um, the, the cool thing about uh, the job that I was assigned to is it's a it's an ops job. It's 24-7 and it's shift work. So there are no weekends, there are no holidays, but essentially you will serve eight alerts each month and then do another four or five days of training in addition to that. So an alert looks like uh, if, if I were going out on alert on Monday, I would leave my house around six, get to base around seven. Everyone working that day is together mission planning and we're talking about weather, we're talking about intel for the day, um, any planned maintenance, anything that happened on the last alert. Um, with the crew that's still out there. We're just kind of game planning with a 30,000 foot view on what to expect in the next 24 hours. Then we drive out to the site. And by that time, it could be anywhere from 10 to one o'clock. These missile silos, you know, I explained how vast the missile complex is. Well, the farthest site we have is like two and a half hours from base. So you get to base, you mission plan for a couple hours, you got to drive two and a half hours to this missile site. Then you, you go below ground and you change out with the crew that's been there uh, for the last 24 hours. 
And then once that's done, you lock yourself in for a full day waiting for the next crew to get there. All in all, an alert, essentially I leave the house at 6 a.m. And then I could be back at my house on the next day, Tuesday at 2, 3 o'clock. And living in Colorado in the summer, it gets dark at 9. You know, I was I was married, no kids, so I could just go to the golf course and have the freedom to to play, practice as much as I wanted. The good thing about the shift work also is, uh, like I said, no, there are no planned holidays or weekends. So a lot of times my off days would fall on a Tuesday or Wednesday. When that's the case, the courses are pretty empty. So it was actually a blessing in disguise where I could go out and, and practice all day long, not really be bothered by a lot of public play. I had the same number of days off as a regular uh, Monday through Friday guy would because uh, alert goes over two days. So that's 16 days total and then another five days of training. So you're looking at 21 days of working and then you have eight, nine days off to yourself. And but, you know, again, it's all spread out. Um, I had months where I would work sometimes 12 or 14 days in a row where, you know, I have an alert for two days and then I have training the next day. Then I have another alert that I'm stacked with training. And that's just kind of how the, the puzzle of the schedule works sometimes. But I also could have seven, eight, nine days off in a row as well. Hmm. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. And, and <laughs> kind of uh, it prepared me for this lifestyle too. Just getting used to being away, not necessarily having full control of my schedule. I mean, you know, I, there, there are weeks that I wish I didn't have to play but you know there's just some tournaments that you can't skip or there's times where it doesn't make sense to not play in the tournament that week so yeah I'd say that that schedule kind of set me up for the highs and lows of being home for things and missing things and um, just being away in general Um, because doing the math I was I was underground uh, away from home for 96 days of the year yeah so um, our career field doesn't deploy because we don't have this weapon system stationed overseas. It only exists here in the continental U.S. Um, but we're also kind of considered deployed in place because we're spending almost a third of the year underground. When, when did you decide, I guess, to to leave the military and and pursue a full time uh, career in golf? And you know, it sounds. I mean, you got to be playing some decent golf in that time period to make that commitment. I would assume too. So tell us how you made that transition. Again, I mentioned that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't give it a chance um, once my initial commitment was up with the Air Force. You owe five years of service after you graduate from a, a military academy. Um, I ended up serving four. I took advantage of a program where they're basically, at the time, Congress was shrinking the size of the Air Force because of budget. So they were shrinking budgets and they were also letting personnel go. So I had the opportunity to apply as one of those personnel, um, just saying, hey, I'll, vo- I'll volunteer. And um, it worked out for me to separate at my four-year mark instead of my five-year mark. Yeah, I, uh, I tell people that my game kind of stayed status quo from when I graduated for those four years. So um, I, I didn't get worse, but at the same time, I didn't really get any better. You know, I was playing in men's days, which are fun. You got some side bets going on. You know, you got five, ten bucks on the line, whatever, but it's, it's enough to make you focus. Honestly, I played as much golf as I could. I, I knew I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I, didn't, if I didn't give it a shot. I kept 
posting really good numbers. I had the opportunity to every year play in the Air Force Championship and the Armed Forces Armed Forces Championship. And what that looks like is about 30 guys will send in their resume from the Air Force to headquarters, and then they'll pick uh, maybe 18 or so to try out for the Air Force golf team. So that's a four-day tournament. At the end of that four-day tournament, the top six guys are chosen to represent the Air Force team. Well, those top six join the top six from Army, Navy, and Marines, and they all play a four-day tournament at the Armed Forces event. And then top six individuals from that tournament comprise the Armed Forces team. And then, unfortunately, it doesn't happen every year, but every so often they have a World Military Championship. And all four years that I was active duty, I was able to play in the Air Force Championship and also won all four of those events. I won all, um, I think I won three of the four Armed Forces tournaments. And then the one year where um, the World Military Championships uh, happened while I was in, uh, I was able to win that. So got a lot of cool medals and accolades from those tournaments. Um, one of my highlights is this was my second year playing the Air Force Championship. It was at Luke Air Force Base. Um, I shot 29 under for four rounds. And I mean, this is a legit golf tournament. You know, there's, there's, there's no gimmies. It's, it's rules of golf, very official. And I, I posted 29 under and the next closest score was even par um, <laughs> for, yeah, for, for the top six guys to make this Air Force team. And putting numbers up like that in a competitive environment it, it was just adding fuel and fuel and more fuel to eventually light this this fire when I got out of the Air Force. Wow. Yeah, gosh, that is that is quite a journey, man. That's uh, it, it also just kind of speaks to a lot of that is pro golf is so much hard work, but it also you just have to have, in my opinion, this inherent ability, right? And despite, you know, you're able to dedicate time to your game, but not what I would call around the clock time to your game and still maintaining a certain level that is just, it's just inherent, man. It's just like, you can't go shoot 29 under and not be, you know, with, if you're not like fully tuned in and you're still shooting 29 under, like, yeah, you have a golf career ahead of you, but uh, (laughs) you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be so hard for so many people to, determined if they have what it takes to play pro golf right and you know especially when you're balancing already a career uh you know most people don't you know most people that, that play pro golf go from college to playing right away to find out if they have it and then if they don't they go uh into the real world but you already have a career i met i guess a lot of those people a lot of people don't make that the sequence of events right but that's just what's unique about a military career yeah and you know it's it's not like I have ever thought like, oh, well, I have a, I have a backup job or, or something else. The path that I've taken has just given me a real appreciation for the ability to play golf and playing with that perspective of knowing that I still have buddies that are serving. I have, I have friends that are deployed. Um, I've lost friends and family members. And, you know, given that perspective, I don't take golf for granted on the golf course. Um, and that also helps me not get too emotionally attached to my play and my scores and how I'm doing and what status I have. Um, because I mean, in all honesty, golf is not that big a deal. Um, it's not the most important part of my life. And, 
but it, it's something that I get to do for the time being. Um, so having that perspective, I think honestly has given me a decent ability to kind of tune things out and, and play with a lackadaisical attitude of, you know, I, if I play well, if I, if I don't play well, it, it doesn't really change who I am as a person. Um, I'm just appreciative for the ability, for the opportunity to be out here. And, you know, I, I hope I can make as long of a career out of it as I can. Yeah, I I, re- I truly don't know how to how to transition into this topic, but you mentioned you know the people that you've lost uh, along the way. But tragedy struck you and your and your family last year in a form that unfortunately is not uncommon uh, in military families. And I'm wondering if you could if you could tell us that story as well as uh, you know I've you know reading about your reaction to it and what you've learned from it. I think is a uh, it's been a huge takeaway for me, and uh, I think our listeners would uh, would greatly benefit from uh, hearing from from some of those lessons learned. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you guys being willing to, to bring it up. And I also remember you guys stepping in in the, in the birdie pledge campaign that I did last year. Um, that, was, that was really, truly awesome of you guys, and I appreciate that. This is actually how I kicked off my first season of Full Status on Corn Ferry, uh, is I, I got the news that my brother had taken his life um, the night before I was to fly out to the first event uh, of the season. So it was January 8th. I was packing my bags for the Bahamas. Again, my first tournament with full status and first tournament of the year. And then uh, I received that phone call and, and had to switch gears and ended up packing up for Omaha to join the family and, and figure out uh, just how to proceed with, with taking care of, of my brother's uh, family and their kids and, and figuring everything out. So... Uh, my brother, as I, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Air Force Academy grad, uh, he was two years older than me. Uh, we got to play, uh, or we got to share two years of uh, high school team golf and then two years uh, Air Force Academy golf as well. And uh, he was a major in the Air Force at the time and really just battled a, uh, a very tough quick uh, three, four-month battle of depression and uh, eventually succumbed to it in uh, January of 2020. Pretty immediately, I, I committed to, I'm not going to hide this or, or keep it down because I know that there's some good that I can do um, through what I'm learning and experiencing through this whole process. And you know that's kind of why I'm so vocal and, and open and honest about it, um, You know, like I am here now in the pod, is, is because I guarantee you there's someone that's going to tune in to this and they're either going through it or they have uh, a loved one or a close one that is going through something similar and they don't know uh, how to proceed. Um, and just, you know, as long as I can positively affect someone, whether it be helping them or helping them help someone else, that's just kind of why I see why I'm here now. Yeah. I, I didn't respect depression prior to losing my brother the way that I should have. I, I would kind of just just scoff and say, well, if you're depressed, just look at all the good things you got going in life. I mean, my brother specifically had four kids, 10-year marriage. Um, he was really, really good at what he did. He was a, an intelligence officer in the Air Force. Um, and coincidentally, he was actually doing intelligence for U.S. STRATCOM, which is the command in charge of nuclear missiles. So the job that I got to be a part of when I was in the Air Force, 
um, he, on the tail end of his career, was actually involved with it. Um, so that was really cool. But uh, yeah, he was, he was good at what he did. He had won some uh, outstanding awards, like top major in his field kind of awards. And uh, he just had in his mind that he wasn't good enough and wasn't competent, and it, it eventually uh, over, overcame him. It, it's been crazy, man. I mean, you know, I miss him every day. I can't say I, I can picture life with him now, um, just because that's kind of not really how my brain's wired. Just the fact of the matter is there's, there's no more Bob. He's gone. But um, there's so many things I wish I could share with him, like walking up my full card. I know for a fact if he was still here, he'd probably be the first text or phone call that I made, you know, once I, once I got off the golf course this last weekend in Utah, um, I would have been very ecstatic to text him, hey, I'm, I'm playing on Corn Ferry next year. Um, but what I am grateful for is, is the fact that I had a brother that, that loved me and, and cared about me and my career. And uh, I learned that he had two or three or four coworkers that knew nothing about golf prior to working with him and they knew more about the game than, than they could care for just through the updates that he would give him on how I was doing and what the career is like and what tournaments to follow and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was definitely a, a wrinkle in, in the plans that, that our family had and um, it, was, it was a definite curveball, but I can definitely see God's hand working through the tragedy here and um, my heart's been softened towards anything and everything depression related. I, I feel part of my calling is to help spread awareness um, of mental illness and, and suicide and and hoping to grow suicide prevention and just keep people out of harm's way. What what would you say you, you've learned about it? And I, I think it's something that you know, the more I think about it, the more I wonder why we're not, maybe we were in school and, and we weren't paying attention, but like taught to recognize signs of it or, or knowing you know, what, what to do, mental illness and mental health are, are is such a uh, strong topic, but I can't help but think like also when I'm like teenagers use the word depression a lot and it almost makes it makes real depression seem not real when it happens. You know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at there? It, it, it's such a, it's such a, a strong thing and you've experienced it firsthand. And I just, I, I wish I knew better as to how to react to it if I, if I knew someone that's going through it or showing signs of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it, it is such a delicate balance of what needs attention and, and what doesn't, what's real, what's not. It's really tough. I, one thing I've, I've kind of put together is uh, you really just need to slow down. I mean, if, if, someone, if someone is struggling or saying they're depressed, it's worth slowing down and just taking a look at what help and resources they need. Because, I mean, had, had I known my brother was still struggling like this, I, obviously I would have happily skipped the first two Bahamas events and, and stayed with him. Um, my family was up with his family for um, right before New Year's. So, so we headed up there right after Christmas and spent a good chunk of days um, and we had known he was depressed and I went to a couple um, clinical meetings with him and his doctors while I was up there and but we saw a lot of progress and and, and I saw kind of the the real old Bob uh, in his eyes while we were up there and then you know life kind of happened and we had to get back to our own schedules and we had to go back to living the high high speed of, of life that we were living 
And, um, you know, one thing I would do over is just kind of slow down and, and put everything else on pause. And that's tough because not everyone has the ability to step away from work or step away from, um, the city they're living in and, you know, be with a, a family member or a loved one, um, where they live for a, um, undefined amount of time. You know, there, you just need to be, need to be aware and, and empathetic towards what they're going through and, and really be willing to just listen to their struggle. I mean, my, my brother would say things that like he, he wasn't, you know, good enough at his job. Well, listen to that. Don't just respond with, well, that's a lie because a lot of times they can't deal with uh, reason and logic. And, uh, you know, like I, I had a list of truths that I could have told my brother. It's, you know, he's got an awesome life, great house, great wife, great kids, great job, um, great job stability. You know, you could go down and down the list, but saying that to him, it, it doesn't penetrate the brain. Um, when they're kind of in that, in that dark, um, deep depression. So, um, but, but I, I, I do remember just sitting there with him in the quality time. And, um, I, I think they can, they can feel the love that's, that's being shown towards them and yeah, just slowing down, sitting with them, spending quality time with them, just being there for him, not trying to fix things. That was, you know, some of the the last few moments that I did cherish with them. But yeah, it's, it's tough, man. There's, there's no black and white clear solution to any of this. Every case is different. And that's why I think just spreading awareness, you know, like I am, I'm not ashamed to say that I was naive and disrespectful of the, of the magnitude of, of depression and, and what it can reach before uh, I had lost Bob. Like, that's just a fact. I didn't, I didn't respect it the way I should have. And so now I'm trying to help others learn that respect before, before tragedy strikes their lives in some way. You know, I just have a soft spot in my heart for anyone going through depression now. And I'll sit on the phone all night with someone if I need to, even if, it, even if it's before the, the final round of the finals event, I will be on the phone all night if I need to, if, if, if someone, if someone is just kind of feeling sad, I'll, I'll be there for them. And, and that's just kind of, you know, that's, that's the bigger piece that I'm a part of that, where I said that, you know, golf, golf isn't the most important thing in my life. Yeah. Well, tell us about 22 kill and, uh, and how, what the, what the name of that means and, uh, what, what that organization is doing and helping people. Yeah, so, so last year when I did that, that birdie pledge uh, for 22 kill, 22 is the number of suicides, veteran suicides per day that, that happen on average. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a stark number if you, if you start doing the math. Uh, yeah, it is crazy. And, and, you know, I didn't know about 22 kill before my brother. This is all new information to me after um, this has kind of become part of my life. So... 22 Kill, uh, they actually um, just updated their name. They are now One Tribe Foundation. And they focus on providing not only um, military veterans, but it looks like they've expanded their circle to first responders and medics and um, really any of the selfless jobs that, that deserve attention. 
they provide resources to give them a, a, a real sense of purpose that they tend to lose when they leave the job. Um, so a lot of active duty guys, when they finish up their time, they're, they're no longer part of a team. They no longer have a mission um, that they're pursuing. So they just kind of lose their sense of purpose. So they surround these guys with a tribe of uh, other people um, that are kind of going through the same thing. They, they provide um, different kinds of therapies and um, therapists. They, um, they have support for spouses and children that have been affected by suicide. And that looks like therapies and camps and all that stuff you can imagine. And, and really their goal is, is kind of spreading awareness they're not going to get the numbers down until more people are, are aware of uh, mental illness and depression. So, uh, you know, the first step is, is spreading awareness. And, um, you know, like, like I am here, I'm, I'm happy to talk about my experiences and, and what I've learned. And I'm happy to slow down and pause and take the time to, to talk with others if, if, they need, um, if they need it. Yeah. Awareness is always, you know, you hear that word a lot when it comes to causes and things like that. And I, I can't think of a better application of, of that term than here in terms of, you know, this is, you know, people that are dealing with depression and especially with veterans are, are, are seeking help, if, even if they're not asking for it or are needing help. And it's not something that's easily recognizable. Uh, but if you if you approach it with a different mindset of un, of a, an understanding mindset, you know, different than maybe how you initially thought of it and how I've thought of depression in the past, then who knows how many lives you could, people could save just by being aware of uh, of of the effects of mental illness and uh, your firsthand experience. So, thank you for 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 sharing that. I know that can't be easy, and I uh, have tremendous respect for uh, for people that respond to tragedy with immediate, how can I help someone else not go through this? And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's commendable, but, um, I yeah, never, thanks. Thanks for giving me a platform to talk about it. Yeah. I never one. I never know how to ask those questions. I never know how to transition away, but, uh, you, you, I learned something in, in doing a little bit of research that, you know, one of my favorite players, Jordan Spieth, he won the 2015 U S open. Uh, but I found out that has an enormous asterisk on it because, uh, qualification or, you know, for that, the U S open was a bit interrupted. Uh, and I'm wondering if you could tell us that story. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So, still to this day, uh, I tell people that our second child, Zoe, cost me the 2015 U.S. Open, <laughs> and that is because I had played in the local qualifier um, that day. Uh, I think I was second. I was the second time off. I shot. 69 or 70 on a par 71 at Collindale and Fort Collins. And, and this is a muni golf course where one under par gets in every single year. It is one of my favorite courses in the country. It is narrow, tree-lined, back-to-front greens, um, and it is just a ball strikers golf course. And so I, so I posted, I think, one under, second group, and my wife walked the last couple holes, and then she said, uh, I think I'm going into labor. And we headed to the hospital. And so we were sitting there for a couple hours and, and I'm refreshing all the scores and, and eventually um, go from clean into sectionals to uh, push into a playoff. I had about 10 minutes notice before I had to leave. Luckily, my wife's mom was also with us in the room. They reluctantly gave me the 
uh, go ahead to let me go back to the golf course. I mean, everything in Fort Collins is close. I was, I was maybe 10 minutes from the uh, hospital to the golf course. So I had been sitting for a couple hours, drove back to the golf course for this. I don't know. It was like a four for one. I think it was a four for one playoff with an alternate spot for a number two or whatever. And I show up, no time to hit balls, barely make the time and throw it in the right trees, end up making bogey on this par five. I'm the first guy out. And I probably looked like a real jerk because I'm hitting these golf shots and then I'm pulling my phone out and I'm on my phone pretty much <laughs> the whole time, refreshing, looking for updates or any texts coming in. Um, of course, the rules officials know what's going on, but I don't think any of my other playing competitors did. So I tap in for six on this first hole and then I just U-turn and go straight for a golf cart and head back to the clubhouse. So I don't really say bye to anyone or good luck or shake hands. I am just out of there. Get back to the hospital. Well, let, let, let me clarify, well in time for the birth. I mean, <laughs> I mean a, good, a good 45 minutes before Zoe arrived. Um, but yeah, I can still say that she cost me the 2015 US Open Championship. Mm. Gosh, yeah, I hate that that has to be played with an asterisk now, but uh, that's that's noted yeah. in the annals of history for that. Last question, and I'll let you get out of here. I know you got some golf to play this week, but what kind of DIY stuff do you have going on uh, around the house currently? I'm 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 trying to become handy. I'm not quite there. I saw some videos of you building bunk beds and things like that. I'm not there yet, but what's uh, what do you currently got going on? Yeah, man. So so that's kind of how I de-stress when I'm home is I love tackling projects and, and just the whole puzzle aspect of, of seeing a project from start to finish, especially on something that I've never done before, uh, is just really appealing to me. Unfortunately, with with COVID over the last couple of years, lumber prices have skyrocketed. Yeah. So um, I've kind of put everything on hold. But with that said, once my off-season starts, whether it's in four weeks or another, you know, 10 weeks um, if I graduate. There are a couple projects in mind. We're, we're going to do some built-ins in the laundry room. Uh, we're going to repaint um, all of the cabinets in the kitchen, go from the stained oak to a white finish. I'm going to do a uh, wall um, build out in the living room and install like one of those really long um, electric fireplaces mm. uh, with the TV above that. And then um, I got a shed install in my backyard that I have to build the foundation for and level all that and move the sprinklers. So, man, as, as I say it all out loud, that sounds, um, <laughs> that sounds That's like a lot. I'm biting off a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you're a man of, man of many talents, and I hear, I hear a crying kid that you may, uh, you may be trying to stay away from, but I think we're going to release you back into fatherhood of four and uh best of luck this coming week and the upcoming corn Ferry tour finals you'll be one of many guys we're tracking as they try to chase down pga tour cards and best of luck i know we'll be pulling for you so thanks a lot for your time tom yeah thanks buddy thanks for having me and i look forward to the next time i'm on let's do it again cheers bud be the right club be the right club today yeah. Yeah. i mean that's better than most how about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect any 